Welcome everyone to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Mike Palumbo. I'm uh, one of the newest assistant pastors here at the church. If you're new here, I empathize with you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you've come to join us uh, to worship the living God. Uh, this church is a great place for you to get rooted in the gospel and to seek renewal of the world. So glad you're here. I'm also glad that the storms didn't sweep you away. Uh, I don't know if you all have been outside too much this morning, but heavy rains have come. And uh, maybe you're like me. Uh, yesterday, I pressed through the rainy storms to be one of the hundred people to get Dunkin' Donuts for a year. And, uh, and so I was in the car, on the road, ready to go. And so I couldn't justify being late or missing church here uh, this morning. So glad you're here with us. Glad you're here with us in the live stream if you're joining us uh, via live stream. Whether you come this morning skeptical, curious about Christianity or Christ, or eager, we hope that you will encounter the living God in this loving community. A few things I want to share with you as we go forward as a church. First off, if you are new here, we are so glad you're here. We'd love to get to know you and connect you to our community. There's a friendship pad. If you're sitting in the aisle right here, you can just pass down the friendship pad. Uh, and that way you can write your name down, give us some information so we can connect with you. It's also a way for you to look down the row and get a name. Maybe you met someone when you got here and you're like, I already forgot their name. Well, this is for you. So you can get to know one another for that purpose. Uh, we will also connect with you if you are here new uh, as you would like. We do have a welcome table. Uh, you can grab a, a little bag there with some goodies, some info about the church. And I will say this, I have four coffees a month, right? So I did get the coffee for a year. So I would love, if you're new this morning, I'd love to take you to coffee. And I'll give you one of my free coffees and uh, get to know you a little bit as we grow together. Well, in this time, we are in the Lent season, uh, which is a season of anticipation and waiting. We're waiting for the day we celebrate the resurrection in a world that's broken when suffering. Uh, as we do wait, we anticipate our Holy Week services. We would love for you to join us for Holy Week. Uh, we have a Palm Sunday service next Sunday at 1030, our normal time. And then as we go into Holy Week, we will have a Monday Thursday service at 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary. Good Friday service at 12 p.m. where we'll meditate on the cross of Christ. And then our e Easter brunch at 9 and celebration service at 1030. It's going to be a great time for us to grow together and worship the living God. Uh, I'm going to bring up Travis. He's got some announcements about family discipleship and ministries to families. Good morning. Uh, two, two events that I just want to make sure you have on your calendars. This coming Wednesday, we are having our family ministry kickoff. That's going to be at the pavilion from 6 to 7.30. This is for... If you have kids, birth to 18 in the church, if you volunteer, if you're interested in volunteering, if you're interested in volunteering, <laughs> maybe even if you say, I don't like kids and you want to double check that, uh, <laughs> come check, please come. Uh, we're going to be sharing, Ellen and I, we're going to be sharing our vision for the children's and youth ministry, as well as uh, showing you all the different opportunities that there are to volunteer with our children and youth. It's not just every Sunday, but there's opportunities throughout the year. So please come. That's from 6 to 7.30. We'll be out there. Next is our Easter family movie night. So this is on Good Friday, the Friday before Easter. Uh, from 4 to 7, we'll be outside, weather permitting. Um, we're hoping uh, to have 
not only a lot of fun as a church family, but hoping that this will be a, a great opportunity to reach out to our community. Uh, we're planning on having bounce houses and Easter egg hunts. Uh, the Kona ice truck is going to be there. We're going to have pizza, all these fun things, and then we're going to watch a movie together. And so this is a, an easy way, we hope, that you can invite neighbors. We know that people around Easter time are thinking to themselves, man, I should really get back into church. I should look for a church to go to. This is an easy way for them to just get familiar with our church grounds and have a fun time. So there are post-it notes in the narthex of things that we need. Last I saw, there's only one left. So it's going to be a mad dash after the service to see who gets the last post-it note uh, for things that you can help bring. But we hope to see you uh, at both of those events. Thank you, Travis. A lot of exciting things happening here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. Well, as a church, our desire is not only to be a worshiping community, a learning community, but also a serving community, that we would be known by the way we love one another and love this community around us. And so a couple of weeks ago, we sent an invite for anyone that would like to come alongside the deacons and serve with them in the church and in the community. And we had a great response. Uh, so right now, I'd like to invite everyone that has signed up to be a, a deacon assistant, and I'm going to pray for the deacon assistant. So if you signed up to be a deacon assistant, if you can just come right here, and you can just stand right here. I promise it won't be long, uh, but I would love to pray for you. So just come up here to my right, and, uh, and I'll pray for you. I'm going to go ahead and share the names of these people. Uh, Ken Akins, uh, Emma Anderson, Trent Blankenship, uh, Dennis Clark, Rich Dreisneck, uh, Karen Morrison, Jim Strickland, Carol Walker, Linda Wachowski, Susan Atkins, Renee Binzer, uh, Sandy Boyd, Paul Dickerson, Steve Larson, Peggy Roberts, Sue Voyer, and Charlie Walker. Uh, these people have sensed the call of God to serve you along with the deacons, to come alongside you as a church and to be model servants for your welfare and the good of our community. Uh, so I'm going to pray for them. And before I do, I just want to read a verse as a reminder for you as you go about this work coming alongside the deacons. It's one of my favorite verses about love. It's Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray for these deacon assistants. Father, we do thank you for these willing servants and the way in which they reflect the love of Jesus. Even as they walked up here, they were reminded that they are to walk towards the needs of this community and towards the needs of this city. Uh, that they would love them well as Christ has loved them well by living, dying, and rising for them. We pray, O oh God, that you would empower them by your spirit, that you would lead them in your counsel, that you would guide their hands and their hearts as they serve this community alongside the deacons. And as we seek to be a serving church, Lord, would they be pace setters in this work. Through Jesus our Savior. Amen. God bless you all in the work that you will do. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Well, in this time, we're going to prepare our hearts for worship during the prelude. And I want to encourage you to consider Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross for you with great joy. Let's do that now.
Isn't it so good to know that we serve a faithful God, a God who has communicated his promises to us and fulfills every one of them. Such awesome news. Well, our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 149, verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let's pray. We do praise you, our gracious and good and faithful God, that you have gathered us again to worship your great name. You are high and lifted up. Your majesty is beyond comparison. Your glory to the ends of the earth. We worship you as the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We invoke your name. We pray, O God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would draw us up into wonder in all of your goodness and your glory and your grace. Renew us this morning by the power of the gospel that we would be transformed by that grace sent out by that grace and moved by that grace to love you and to love one another as you have loved us. Through Jesus, our Savior, amen. Well, let us now sing to our Creator and King, This is My Father's World. seated. Well, this is our Father's world. This is His creation designed for us for our good, that we would glorify Him, love, and adore Him. And yet it is true that throughout our days, throughout our weeks, we often fail to do so. Uh, We break God's law intentionally and unintentionally. So we come before God to confess our sins, knowing that He is a merciful and forgiving God. So hear now this need of confession. This is from Galatians 5, 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, this verse tells us that all of us, every single one of us, including the pastors and everyone among us, we're all mixed bags, aren't we? We're made in the image of God and true righteousness, but we're also sons of Adam and Eve, deceived by unrighteousness. We are born under the curse of original sin and yet reborn by the power of the Spirit, daily dependent on the Spirit to walk by faith and yet daily drawn away by sin's lure, enticed and taking the bait. You see, this is why we need confession. This is why we confess our sins every week in the congregation because God takes our mixed up lives and remakes us by his grace. That Jesus came to save sinners like the rest of us, to bring us into his family and to form us by his love. You see, we come to Jesus in this time asking him not only to forgive us, but also that he would fill us up with his spirit. And confession strengthens this bond of union with Christ because we know that the one that we confess to is a God merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. And so let us take a moment now to confess our sins, first personally and privately, and then corporately together in a prayer of confession. Let's confess our sins personally. for corporate confession of sin. O good shepherd, seek me out and bring me home to thy fold again. Deal favorably with me according to thy good pleasure till I may dwell in thy house all the days of my life and praise thee forever and ever with them that are there. Amen. Beloved, it is my joy to share the good news of the gospel for all who trust in Jesus, who have turned from their sin and turned to Christ for forgiveness. This assurance of parting comes from Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Hear the good news of the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Beloved, do you know how kind God has been to you? Do you know the depth of his mercy? That he sent Jesus even in the midst of your sinfulness to be the sin bearer. To take the curse of our sin that we would be set free to change us from dead enemies of God to made alive heirs with God in Christ. What a joy of a God so merciful and gracious. At this point now, we'll sing the praise of this gracious and merciful God, singing thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song.
may be seated. Well, God's grace and mercy are not only the ground of our forgiveness, but the door of our access to pray to this God who loves us. Hebrews 4 tells us that when we pray, we go before the throne of God's grace, that we may receive mercy in our time of need. And this time we'll be praying to our gracious God, but first we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And this gives us the form of prayer, and then I'll pray for us as we uh, pray the pastoral prayer. So please join me in unison the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Join your hearts with me as I pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name, O God, is to be hallowed, lifted high. You are the merciful God. And we praise you, O Lord, that those who turn and cry to you, you hear from heaven. And many times you have delivered your people according to your mercies. We thank you, Lord, that though we in sin turn in rebellion, yet you in love chase us down through Jesus our Savior. You embrace us in your arms of love. And nevertheless, in your great mercies, you do not make an end to us. You don't make an end of us, but rather you draw us into your grace as our merciful God. We adore you. We long to see you and to know you. We long this week to be a week of worship where we give our lives to your glorious grace and live for your mission. And we know that that mission has not yet been fulfilled. Your kingdom has not yet come in its fullness. And yet we say, come, Lord Jesus, make right all that's gone wrong in this fallen world. Give us your mercy and your grace that we would endure as we wait for your kingdom to come. And we pray that it would come. We pray that we would have foretaste of that coming kingdom right here, right now. You have called us to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that we might proclaim your majesty and your grace. So give us words to speak. Help us, O God, stir us up by your love that we would live on mission in Lake Oconee and to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray that you would form us in your mercy, that we would be a people of mercy, that we would extend your love and your care to those that are hurting in our community, that this church would be a balm, a place of healing and hope for those that are hopeless, that we would be hope givers, communicating your gospel with our neighbors, with our family, with strangers, with those that we don't even know. Empower us with your love to do this. We pray, O God, for those that have vocations of mercy, for all medical workers and nurses and doctors. We pray for those that use the gifts that you've given them to serve those around. O Lord, empower them to serve you as their king. Lord, we pray for the First Call Pregnancy Center, that you would guide them in their ministry to those that are experiencing unplanned pregnancies. Would they be an anchor of hope to these people that are uncertain about their future? And Lord, would you help them not only to carry these children to full term, but to send them out on mission for your kingdom and your purpose. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come in Mississippi and Alabama as they face great hardships due to the tornadoes. Lord, we pray that you would bring hope and healing to those that have lost loved ones. We pray that you would rebuild the devastated places of these areas that have been torn apart through tornadoes and storms. And Father, as we long for your kingdom not only to come to us in this room, but to all those in our city, to every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, 
We pray, oh God, that your kingdom would come to every single person that comes to the ESL class to learn English, that they would learn your praise, that they would look to your glory, that they would be able to see Jesus in clear sight as they learn this other language. Lord, you give them the joy of your spirit that in their native tongue they would sing praise to you. And that as they learn English, they would be able to communicate and engage in the good work that you've called them to do here in this city. We pray for volunteers to serve in this manner. And Lord, as we ask you for our daily bread, we know there are many needs in our community. There are many that are undergoing great suffering and great recoveries. And so we pray, O oh Lord, for all that had surgeries and sickness, for Al Anderson as he, uh, as he recovers from his heart valve replacement, for Terry Forster, for Carrie Stott, for Bill and Sue Burmeister's grandson, Benjamin. Lord, we pray for Jill, Jerry Hill as he uh, experiences recovery and rehab. And Lord, for Scott Patterson, Maxine Ward. Oh Lord, grant your grace to these people that they would recover in your time. We pray for Mike Roberts and his fractured vertebrae, for Jan Curtis and Carol Oxford, Lord, as they seek recovery from really difficult and hard injuries. And Lord, for all that grieve the death of loved ones, we pray that the hope of the gospel would be the anchor of their souls. For the Porter family with the loss of Susan, for Miranda Bonner with Bill, Tom Roberts with Martha, Brenda Hill with her brother Buford Smith, and Donna Jean Kendall and her husband Glenn, for Jean Hesse with Doug Hesse, Marilyn Soul and the death of Herod Soul. Lord, we, we need your hope to remember your grace in our time of great need. And Lord, would you feed us this week? And when we look to you with thanksgiving and praise, we come to you acknowledging our true debt and need of your mercy. Would you help us to flee from sin and temptation, to hear your still soft voice that welcomes us to the true life through Jesus our Savior. And Lord, we give you glory as the one whose kingdom and power and glory is the main story of this whole world. We pray that you would anchor and direct this congregation according to your glory, that we live for your purposes in every area of life through Jesus our Savior. Amen. When it's time during the service, we give to the Lord our tithes and offerings, anticipating that God is at the, at the work. He is doing great and mighty things. And so as you give, give to his glory and his mission. If you do have children that are fourth through second grade, uh, during the doxology, they can go to Children's Church just out these doors. Someone will greet you and take you to room 107. Let's now consider this gracious God and this offertory.
I got to say, it looks really different worshiping from down there. And I don't know about you, but it gave me a sense of just how much there is to be excited around here. We have new staff on board. We just saw how many deacon assistants commissioned for the work of coming alongside our diaconate in the work of mercy ministry. We have a family youth night and a family ministry kickoff coming up. Did you look at the bulletin at how many women's ministry events are coming up? All I'm going to say is, see Sue, if you're a woman in this church, you have ample opportunity for fellowship, learning, worshiping together. How awesome that is. And where is Ned? Sandy, you should be so proud. It is very well with my soul after that. I'll tell you that. For those of you who don't know, Ned Boyd is Sandy Boyd's son, and wow, what a joy. So how much fun. Now, I've just given you all those praises. I do, Travis and Mike, I have one bone to pick a little bit. You all go to Dunkin' Donuts for free coffee for a year, and you know I love coffee and I wasn't invited. I would have liked free coffee for a year. That's like Augusta and, you know, hmm, something... We're going to have to talk at staff meeting here a, a little bit. We have been looking through the Lenten season at different snapshots, different pictures of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. We've called it Encountering Jesus. One of the premises behind this is that for us to be transformed, for us to be changed at all, we have to have a relationship with the real Jesus. Our tendency is that we like to, see, we're created in God's image, but I'm afraid a lot of us like to make God out in our image. And so we need to have a picture of the real Jesus, and the scriptures give us that. So if you have Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. I'm titling this morning's message, Engaging Reality, because it's all about the truth. And so, friends, hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves us. Let's pray. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Lord, your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is given not to just give us information, not to just give us knowledge, but to change us, to transform us. And Lord, I pray that you would do that this morning, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would kindle a fire on our hearts, that we would leave here loving you, treasuring you, cherishing you more than when we came in. Father, I know in speaking that I am totally, totally dependent on Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would pour out Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to be the one who convicts us, the one who comforts us, the one who challenges us, the one who leads us in the grace of Jesus. Father, we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, we all know how much we love a good story. Stories are inherently interesting. Stories entertain. Stories inform. Stories seem to involve us. In a story, the author kind of abducts us and brings us into a narrative world of his creating, a reality that he shapes. Stories allow us to see a reality the storyteller creates, and from this kind of other world, we are invited to enter in. We're invited to understand, to evaluate, and hopefully redirect our lives. Jesus taught by parables, and parables are some of Jesus' most famous sayings and stories. Last week, we looked at, there was a man who had two sons, or we have, there's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho or a man sowing some seed. Parables, whether of the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the seed and the sower, they are among the most famous words ever spoken by our Lord. Even if you know very little about Jesus, even if you're very unfamiliar with Jesus, you probably are familiar with sayings like the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the sower and his seed. But friends, parables are much more than stories. Remember the movie Jack Nicholson was in? I think it was titled, A Few Good Men. I hope I have my information right here. And what was it, the famous line Jack Nicholson said? You can't handle the truth. Parables are much more than stories because what exactly is a parable and why are they so important? They are, in the words of New Testament scholars, extended analogies, comparisons used to explain, convince, and lead us to action concerning the kingdom of God. Scholars point out that their primary purpose is to elicit a response. This is where they're different than stories you might hear. Stories you might hear might be, that was good, I appreciate that. That entertained me, that informed me. Whereas a parable is meant to change us. A parable is designed to get a response from us, to move us to action, which is part of the issue with you can't handle the truth. See, we were built for the truth. Jesus himself said, you will know the truth and the truth will set us free. We need the truth. But can we handle the truth? This text tells us 
the truth that we need. This text teaches us the response, the call to action in this parable is a call to repentance, a call to redirect our lives. The truth we need is to redirect our lives, and the Holy Spirit tells us how to do this in three particular ways. He tells us first through giving us a realistic warning, second, a sobering reminder, and third, a patient plea. The Holy Spirit is challenging us. In many ways, this is a difficult sermon. This is about engaging reality. The Holy Spirit is giving us the truth we need through a realistic warning, a sobering reminder, and a patient plea. First, a realistic warning. I appreciated Mike praying for the victims of those who were affected by the tornadoes in Mississippi and Alabama, but doesn't it seem that when disaster of this sort or any sort strikes, when a catastrophe occurs, people inevitably ask the same questions. Whose fault is it? Who is to blame? Where was God when this happened? Why did God allow this to happen? Okay, now we need to remember, this is why I'm repeating this, part of the purpose behind parables, part of their aim, part of the intention, part of the reasoning is to alter our view of reality to change our thinking, and thus consequently to redirect our lives. It's to get us to think, maybe I'm asking the wrong questions here. See, Jesus, when asked a question about suffering, what's his response? He says, maybe we should be asking different questions. We should be asking different things. We need to ask the right questions. So when a disaster hits, like a tornado, or we have a health crisis, we have a financial crisis, instead of asking who is to blame or who is at fault, we should be asking questions that more have to do with our relationship with God. What is God doing in my life? How should I respond? Maybe instead of saying who's to blame, I should say, how can I show compassion here? Or maybe when something hits, I should be asking, what does God want me to learn through this? See, look with me at the text and look with me at verse 1. Jesus is giving us the realistic warning concerning repentance in the context of two disasters. Verse 1, he says, there were some present at that, very t at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think these Galileans are worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then he gives this very kind of cryptic, challenging response. No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. What's going on here? The first disaster is an atrocity carried out by some Roman soldiers acting in the name of their governor, Pilate. A group of Galileans are offering animal sacrifices, presumably at the temple and probably around the Passover, since this was the time when pilgrims made their sacrifices. And in this violent act, the blood of the victims is mixed with the blood of the sacrifice, obviously making it a sacrilege. One commentator put it this way when he said, it would be as if terrorists came into a church, shot the worshipers as they are partaking of communion, 
then mingled their blood with the communion wine. So this is an atrocity. Make no mistake about it. But now, look at the question posed by those reporting this to Jesus. Look at what they ask and how Jesus responds. They say, hmm, Jesus, what do you think? Are these Galileans, they're pretty bad, aren't they? Are they worse than just your mere ordinary Galileans? See, in the ancient world, much as it is today, what are they seeking to find? Whose fault is it? Who's worse? There's got to be some superior, some inferior, some good, some bad. It's presumed that catastrophe or disaster is due to the sin of the victim. Isn't that always the way it is? If something bad happens, we want to know whose fault it is. It's almost we have an inherent need to assign blame. You know why we're doing that? Because we have an inherent need to self-justify. The Galileans, in asking this question, are basically saying, see, aren't we a little better than them? Aren't we just a... They must be worse than us. Overlook our sin, because we're not doing this. They're hard-boiled sinners. We're just kind of run-of-the-mill sinners. They really need grace. We need a little bit of grace. So Jesus answers their question by saying... Uh, wrong question, wrong focus. They ask, is this tragedy proof that there were sinners? And Jesus says, um, time out. Unless you repent, you also will likewise perish. In other words, there is something much more important for you to be thinking about here. You need to be thinking about your sin. You need to be engaging reality and the reality about your relationship with God. You need to handle the truth. You're worried about who is a worse sinner, and Jesus says, you're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. There's no better. There's no worse. We are all deserving punishment and the judgment of God. And Jesus goes on and he reinforces this, doesn't he? Because now he gives a second example, a second disaster. The tragic accident of 18 being killed by the tower at Salome. And so Jesus turns the tables on them. He says, were those 18 on whom the tower in Salome fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And again, he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you also will likewise perish. The accident must have been common knowledge because here's Jesus bringing it up. And look this time where Jesus corrects them. He challenges their assumption that some are morally superior. Because when Jesus asks, do you think they were more guilty, he now uses the words offenders and not sinners. Offenders meaning debtors, asking, do you think they somehow owed more to God? Were somehow further away from God than others living in Jerusalem. Now notice what Jesus is saying. First, by calling them offenders, he does not deny that they are sinners. But again, what is he saying? Here's his realistic warning. He says, look, we are all sinners. We are all, like Mike put it during our confession time, we are all a mixed bag. We are all human all flesh and blood, all in need of grace, 
all without the intervention and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ under the sentence of judgment. Not often I quote Jack Nicholson twice in a sermon, but can you handle the truth? This is the first element of truth. Can you handle the fact that you are a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving as our PCA, I'm quoting the PCA Book of Church Order now. What is this for a strange sermon? Justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy. Friends, I do plead with you. Ask yourself that question. Don't ask yourself the question, whose fault is it? Who's to blame? That is a question designed to avoid the truth. Those are the wrong questions. Next, Jesus gives a sobering reminder. Look with me at verse 6. And he says, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Look at what's going on here. Here's a man, had a fig tree, planted in his vineyard, and he came back to see if it was bearing fruit. In other words, was the fig tree doing what it was designed to do? The answer to that is simple. Fig tree, supposed to have figs. I show up, no figs. It's kind of like Jesus created us to be human. Do you know what it means to be a sinner? We think sin is always just kind of breaking the rules somehow. Sin dehumanizes us. We were created to be human. Let's see if we find humanity. Quite often, no. Now, we need to understand some of the background here, what's going on. Okay, apparently, here's this fig tree, hadn't for three years. The man had enough, was ready to cut it down. In other words, judgment. We need to understand some of the Old Testament background here because God often in the Old Testament used the figure, used the imagery of the vine or the fig tree to refer to his people, Israel. So, for example, in Isaiah 5, we read, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he came and he looked for justice, but behold, found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Israel was called to be a fruitful tree in God's vineyard. This whole missional purpose of the church is not a new thing. It is built on the foundation of Israel, the people of God of the Old Testament. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. Israel was called to display true, proper, biblical justice, biblical relationships, biblical righteousness. They had all the privileges, all the spiritual advantages to bear this fruit. They had the Word of God. They had the law. They had the patriarchs. They had the tabernacle. They had the covenant with God. They had prophets, priests, temples, sacrifices, atonement. And so while this is a parable to Israel in its original context, here comes the sobering reminder. We ought not miss its relevance to us and applications to us. God created us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
Look at what he's given us. He's given us his word. He's given us the gospel. We have his complete revelation, both Old and New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us and indwell us. We're connected to Christ, the true vine. So let me ask you this question. Are you bearing fruit in your life? Are you growing in Christ-like character, in service to God, in ministry to and helpfulness to others, in influence among your neighbors and friends who are seeking Christ. Remember Martin Luther's first thesis of the 95 theses was when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. We think of repentance as something we do at the very beginning of the Christian life. Or maybe if we're in our Christian life, we blow it big time and get caught. But repentance, a true turning to God in view of his mercy and kindness and grace ought to characterize our daily lives. Repentance ought to be so normal and so joyful because we are constantly flying to the mercy seat to receive the kindness of our Savior. But see, if I stop the sermon now, that's bad because one thing is missing. Look with me at this patient plea. See, at this point in the parable, the verdict is rendered, isn't it? The owner says, there it is, fig tree. Are there figs? No, I've given it three years. Cut it down. Verdict is there. Can you handle the truth? Judgment. Until verse 8. And what do you have in verse 8? You have someone step in to intercede. Because here comes the gardener saying, sir, let it alone this year. Do you catch the intercession? He's pleading. Here's the patient plea. Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. If not, you can cut it down. The gardener does something amazing. He intercedes for the fig tree. Like Abraham interceding for the city of Sodom. If only you would find five righteous people in the city, won't you have mercy on it? The gardener intercedes on behalf of the fig tree. If only you would let me tend it one more year, take care of it, pay special attention to it. Then in a year, if it still bears no fruit, cut it down. Again, in its original set setting, we're, he's pleading here for God's patience with Israel. We know from later history what happened. Many did not repent, and in A.D. 70, judgment came. The temple was besieged. Jerusalem was destroyed. Israel was scattered. But friends, here's a very, very important point. We need to see that we're no better. We need to see God will not wait forever. He's giving his word in order to lead us to turn to him. J.C. Ryle said of this particular parable, he says, we live in a land of Bibles, liberty, gospel preaching. Where is the fruit? Where is the evidence? This parable is particularly humbling and heart-searching. See, judgment has not yet come. Why? Because God is kind. God is patient. 
God is giving us opportunity if you have never turned to Jesus Christ, if you've never turned to God and said to God, Father, I'm a sinner, accept me simply because Jesus, because Jesus was cut down in my place. Jesus became like the fig tree who was cut down to be raised. We talk about moving into Holy Week and the death and resurrection of Christ where he is moved to be raised to be the ultimate tree that we can abide in him and live forever. God has given you time to turn to him. Won't we make today the day that we confess our sins to God, where we seek his forgiveness, where we own up to our independence, our rebellion, our control, and say to God, God, please accept me because of Jesus. Bring me in because Jesus was cut down. Jesus and my Christian friends, how incredible is it that for you, Judgment Day has already occurred? Jesus took your judgment. Are we living that free? Are we living that confidently? Are we living that joyfully? Or are we still living like we have to justify ourselves? We have to prove ourselves like judgment still awaits. No, Jesus was judged for us. We're not under judgment today because of the mercy of God in Christ. God is patient. God is merciful. Oh, won't we live for him? Won't we give up the deceit of pleasures, of comfort, of self-satisfaction, of self-gratification, and treasure the one who truly lives to intercede for you, who truly treasures you? Let's pray. Lord, may we see Jesus interceding for us, pleading for us. As the hymn says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Father, you would have been just and completely righteous to cut us down. And yet you didn't. And you didn't because of love. For God so loved the world that he sent and he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, give us the gift, give us the ability to turn from our independence, to turn from the deceit of sin, to turn from our having to be in control, and to turn to your mercy to believe in you, Lord Jesus, that you have truly been judged for us and you have set us free. May we truly know the truth, the truth that will set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together our closing hymn, Take Time to Be Holy.
ones having been blessed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are now called to go out and be a blessing to others. So let's open our hands wide and receive the Lord's benediction, the Lord's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.